Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 17th of October here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Hewitt podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up today, President Biden gets ready to visit Israel and Jordan in a bid at conflict containment. Putin takes a rare international trip to China to meet with Xi and a different beat. Reports suggest that the CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon, is set to stop DJing as the bank gets ready to report earnings. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. President Biden will travel to Israel tomorrow in a show of US solidarity with its closest ally in the Middle East. Biden will meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to discuss regional stability and safe zones for civilians in Gaza. The US Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the trip has a number of aims. He's coming here at a critical moment for Israel, for the region and for the world. And he's coming here to do the following. First... The president will reaffirm the United States' solidarity with Israel and our ironclad commitment to its security. Second, President Biden will underscore our crystal clear message to any actor, state or non-state, trying to take advantage of this crisis to attack Israel. Don't. Blinken spoke as he continues to visit nations in the region in shuttle diplomacy aimed at preventing a wider regional conflict. America's most senior diplomat has visited Israel twice in the past week, as well as trips to Jordan, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Preparations for a ground offensive against Hamas in Gaza are continuing, though, after its attack in Israeli territory last weekend, which killed at least 1,400 people and led to around 200 hostages being taken. Gaza's health ministry says that retaliatory strikes have killed close to 2,800, with many more still missing. Israel says that it is keeping open an internal corridor for evacuations of the northern Gaza Strip, the Palestinian Prime Minister Mohammed Shatia says that his people will not be forced out of the territory. We are people of of a civilization. We are not animals like they are painting us, and our people will not surrender. And to let them know that our people will not migrate and will not leave the land. Mohamed Shatia's comments come as the EU's Commissioner for Crisis Management has warned that the humanitarian situation in Gaza is about to reach breaking point. The situation has been compounded by Egypt's refusal to open a border crossing at Rafah. The country's foreign minister claims that Israel has refused to take a stance that would allow aid to pass through and foreigners to leave. 
Moving on to news in Europe, two people were shot and killed in Brussels on Monday evening. The victims were Swedish and the police are investigating a possible terrorist-related motive. European cities have been on high alert for possible extremist acts after the attacks by Hamas in Israel. Officials say that there is not yet an indication of a link to the conflict. Russian leader Vladimir Putin has arrived in Beijing for China's Belt and Road Forum. Bloomberg's Brian Curtis has more on that story. Putin travels abroad about as much as China's Xi Jinping, almost never. Putin has an arrest warrant issued against him by the International Criminal Court. That's for alleged war crimes in Ukraine. But he's here in China to help rejig the infrastructure scheme that she calls the project of the century. Putin will attend the forum and meet Xi tomorrow. The two will no doubt laud their growing relationship, one viewed with caution by both Washington and Brussels. As to the forum itself, well, the project of the century faces an uncertain future with plenty of critics. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Radio. The Bank of England chief economist Hugh Pill says that sticky inflation in the UK may require a long-lasting response. It's this persistent component of inflation which, in my mind, I think in the mind of the NPC, is associated with, not uniquely caused by, but is associated with domestic pricing decisions, domestic cost dynamics, domestic wage setting behaviour. If we have a persistent component of inflation, it seems natural to me that we have a persistent monetary response to it. Pearl's comments added to speculation about the Bank of England's plans to hold rates high for some time. Traders are betting that the Bank of England will hold rates in November, though they still favour one more hike in the current cycle by early next year. Bernard Arnault has lost his position as the world's second richest person as a sell-off in luxury stocks pushed his net worth below that of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. The LVMH founder's wealth has fallen by $6.8 billion when the company reported softer sales growth last week. According to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index, Arnault is now worth around $155 billion, just below Bezos's $156 billion. Goldman Sachs' chief executive David Solomon has stopped his controversial hobby of DJing, according to the Financial Times newspaper. The story comes ahead of the bank's earnings later today. Bloomberg's James Walcock has more. It was always going to turn heads when the CEO of one of the world's largest banks headlines music festivals. But as Goldman's earnings slump and key rainmakers move on, criticism of David Solomon's side hustle as a DJ has mounted. The CEO has had to apologise to Goldman's board in the past after he performed in an area accused of flouting social distancing rules during the pandemic. Now the FT report he has given up the hobby. Goldman responded to the story saying, quote, this is not news and added that the media attention had become a distraction. The bank's third quarter earnings are out later today. In London, James Wilcock, Bloomberg Radio. Now, let's uh, discuss what is going on in Israel uh, with Hamas. The US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has held hours of talks with Israel ahead of a visit on Wednesday by US President Biden, a trip designed to signal US solidarity with its closest ally in the Middle East, but also help to prevent the conflict from engulfing the region. Israel's Defence Secretary, Yoav Gallant, has told Blinken that Israeli forces are preparing for a long and costly war, but that Israel would win. Joining me now is Bloomberg's EMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson. Welcome to Radio Ros. 
What is the situation currently, and first of all for civilians in Gaza, ahead of what we widely expect to be a ground war? Well, we know that the situation there is bad and it's getting worse. We've had EU officials warning that Gaza is near to total collapse. Uh, there are very big concerns about access to basic things, including drinkable water. There are reports that some people are even drinking seawater <clears throat> at the moment because there's no access to, to clean water. And so then you get concerns about disease and other things spreading. Also, <clears throat> what we know is that there's a lot of humanitarian aid that seems to be coming to Gaza, but it's not getting into Gaza. So it's being flown to places like Egypt, from the European Union, from elsewhere. Uh, that includes food and particularly medicine. Uh, obviously, they're running short of that, but it's not actually getting across the rougher crossing between Egypt and into southern Gaza, let alone getting to the northern part of Gaza, which is, of course, uh, bearing the brunt of it at the moment. So the reports out of Gaza are pretty dire. Uh, we know that quite a few yeah. people have moved south, but still a lot of people are in the north, and that's the area that Israel's indicated it would go into. Has Anthony Blinken had any results from his intensive meetings with neighbouring Arab states? And on the point of the Rafa crossing, there seems to be each side blaming each other for the lack of, of uh, that, that border opening. Well, it is to say, pardon the phrase, it's a war of words over this crossing. I mean, everybody is accusing the other of not allowing people through. But for days we've had reports that it might open for several hours and it's never happened. Um, and so you've got that bottleneck there. What we do know is the US Secretary of State basically went on a blizzard um, through the region. I mean, he, he, he went to 10 different countries, I think, in the space of four or five days. He had endless meetings with the leaders of Arab states and others and what has he got to show for it publicly speaking not much it seems we don't know what was agreed potentially behind the scenes and maybe the result is that nothing happens in terms of if there is a ground war Iran does not step in mm. so it might be the, the outcome what he achieves is that something doesn't happen in this case but ostensibly for now after all that travel what we know is the only thing he's got is agreement with Israel to discuss some sort of humanitarian aid program for Gaza. How long will the ground war last? I mentioned Israel's defence secretary and his statement. What about Lebanon and Iran-backed Hezbollah? As you say, inaction would be a significant uh, benefit for, for, for people, perhaps. Well, that's right. I mean, there's just so many unknown knowns in this when we think about how long a ground war might last that the starting point is what does the initial ground war look like uh, has Israel changed its calculation in the past couple of days and instead of a, a full-throated ground war with tens or hundreds of thousands of Israeli soldiers in Gaza does it turn into a more targeted operation what happens tomorrow with his meeting with the US president so that does that change the framework at the outset but as you know it's a very highly densely populated area. Mm. We're talking about door-to-door, house-to-house combat, potentially. How do you identify Hamas, who's Hamas and who's not? And so you, you are talking about months either way, even if Iran and other actors do not get pulled in. A final thought on hostages. According to a Hamas spokesperson, Hamas and other groups may be holding as many as 250 prisoners in Gaza. What is being done for them? 
it's very difficult to know what can be done for them. They actually don't even know where some of them are. What we do know is in some cases it's the basic question of do these people need medical care and are they getting medical care? Some of these hostages were injured, of course, uh, when they were captured and some have required surgery. So are they getting just basic medical care at this point <clears throat> to, to keep them alive? And that's sort of the number one priority. Are they able to be uh, to be fed? Are they safe? At least for now. Um, but there's very little that anyone can do because the whereabouts of at least some of them are completely unknown. And in terms of a, of a last thought on the call from Putin, um, the, there was a phone call between Putin and Netanyahu. China and Russia have called for a ceasefire. We've talked a lot about US diplomacy in the region, but what do we make of what China and Russia have said? It was very interesting. How many days did it take for the Russian president to ring Benjamin Netanyahu? And even when he did, he sort of expressed condolences for what happened. He didn't mention Hamas by name. And so there's a real sense in that and in the language from China while calling for a ceasefire of really not wanting to get involved, not wanting to use their influence with Iran and others to try and keep those actors out of it. Certainly a lot of pressure from the West for them to do something, but a real message that they're not particularly interested in getting drawn in. Yes, they're calling for humanitarian aid for Gaza. Yes, they want a ceasefire, but they're really not sort of blaming Hamas heavily for this. And interestingly enough, Vladimir Putin pitched up in China this morning. Mm. He's on the ground there holding talks with Xi Jinping. Rosalind, thank you so much for being with us and for your time this morning. Bloomberg's EMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson, taking us through then the situation in Gaza currently, the US diplomacy by Anthony Blinken ahead, of course, of President Biden arriving on Wednesday, the expectation. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So we've talked about the US taking significant steps in the region, but I want to have a deeper conversation about China. It does have influence with Russia and Iran, and it is sending its top diplomat, China's Middle East envoy, but not until next week. Bloomberg opinion columnist Karishma Vaswani says that Beijing is being careful to only offer very limited solutions, and Karishma joins me now. Good morning, Karishma. Um, Roz gave us something of a flavour of the view on China and Russia from the West. They are sticking to the rhetoric of a two-state solution in the Middle mm -hmm. East, but calling for an immediate ceasefire. Is that credible? 
No, not at all. And, you know, Caroline, I was listening to what Ros was saying and, and fully agree. The issue is that Beijing professes to be a rising world power, the world's second largest economy, a country that, you know, other nations should listen to and that can offer solutions. But what we've seen this time, and again, echoes of the Ukraine war and the immediate aftermath of that, uh, when it first happened, it, empty rhetoric, no solutions of substance. I mean, consistently, the position on the two-state solution is something that China has held for a long time. It repeatedly says this is the best way out. It has, as Ros was saying earlier, uh, not used the kind of language that you would expect when it comes to condemnation of Hamas. In fact, in the first early days of the conflict, uh, it was um, criticized by a group of American senators who were in Beijing at the time, Chuck Schumer, saying, like, you, you know, we need to see more action from you, China. In the last few days, we've seen the United States again urge China to use its influence, particularly with Iran, and uh, try and influence negotiations there if indeed it is possible to do so. But again, no action from China. Rhetoric, but not a lot of concrete success with that. And so China also in, in global conflicts has often talked about wanting peace. But you point out in, in some of your writing that global opinion is, is deeply wary. Yeah, and I think that's understandable, right? Because it you have to sort of put your money where your mouth is, <laughs> to, to use that phrase. And we've heard China talk about peace, but at the same time, we've seen actions in the South China Sea, for instance, that don't necessarily look all that peaceful. We've seen Beijing talk about this two-state solution and, and you know, um, make uh, representations about how there must be a peaceful outcome in this conflict. Of course, everybody wants that, right? Everybody wants would love for there to be a peaceful outcome to the conflict in the Middle East. But when it comes down to foreign policy ability, China's ambitions are outweighed by what has been described uh, by many people that I've been speaking to for this column, actually, as intellectual, a lack of intellectual foreign policy capacity. It doesn't have the experience of going out into the world and dealing with messy, geopolitical, complex issues, getting its hands dirty. Those are risks it doesn't really want to take. And as a result, the solutions that it offers are often quite basic and simplistic. So what um, do we expect then? What is this visit from Beijing's Middle East envoy? A visit next week, which also seems quite tardy versus US and EU diplomacy. What might we expect? Well, I think for all intents and purposes, it will be a way for Beijing to sort of do a listening tour and gather thoughts and uh, get a sense of what people are feeling on the ground. There, you know, is always use in that. But as you point out, it feels like China's coming to this a little bit late in the game. And by that point, hopefully the situation would have uh, gone in a direction which is in a, in a much better form than what we're seeing today. But Underlining all of this, I think, is is something that's most important. China is not going to get off the global stage. It feels its time has come. The way it goes about 
uh, interacting as a global player, though, uh, makes it hard to see just how those ambitions can be fully realized. And I think that's something as you see more of China's diplomacy around the world, both outside of China and inside China, as you were just talking about with Roz with regards to the Belt and Road Summit. Interestingly, it's being reported that the Taliban may well be in China for the BRI summit, something I'm watching very closely indeed. And, you know, there's a sort of picture that's being painted for us there, right? Like on the one hand, China is going out trying to be this global peacemaker, but also inviting all sorts of people and all sorts of countries to the table. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.